0: Welcome everybody to another episode of Life in a Bubble, the podcast where we get deep and personal to some of Ireland's most talented people. So our guest today in the hot seat is on the fast track to sporting stardom. She burst onto our TV screens when she made her Paralympic debut, aged just 13. Since then, she's gone on to take the world by storm by becoming a Paralympic and a world medalist. Not only that, she's the current European champion. So, our guest today is the brilliant Ellen Keane. Hello, you wonderful listeners, and welcome to Life in a Bubble with me, Oliver Dingley. Thank you for tuning in to our second episode, and to all you listeners who have listened to our first episode on Radio DJ Keith Walsh, welcome back. It's a pleasure to have you all. So for all you new listeners out there, the concept of this podcast will explore six photos from significant moments in our guest lives. Three will be from our guests directly, while another three will be picked by me. These photos could capture happy memories or even difficult times, but we'll get to the bottom of why that moment and the journey behind it means so much. Now, of course, we're not going to leave you hanging because all the photos from today's episode will be on our social media pages. We have them all, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat, all at Life in a Bubble podcast. That's Life in a Bubble podcast. So go over to them, have a good look at all the photos that we discussed today. I'm sure they will all be fantastic. So before we start, I just want to say thank you to Ellen, who is gearing up right now to share some of her significant moments. Also, a thank you to everyone who has made this episode happen. And thank you to you, the listeners, who have taken the time to tune in to Ellen's story today. Ellen, welcome to the podcast. How are you?
1: I'm good, thank you for having me
0: This is exciting, because we've known each other for a few years now Yeah And we haven't done anything like this before
1: No, I think the first time that we got to know each other <laughs> We were on a night out after the RT Sports Awards
0: <laughs> That was a good night out, you, you were definitely very merry
1: I was very merry and I had destroyed <laughs> my phone I remember that I
0: remember that now And mm. uh, since then we've got to know each other quite well And I've got to know you quite well And all the things uh, that interest you And we've worked on a few things together But you're a Paralympic swimmer You are a very successful Paralympic swimmer. And I heard you on uh, your radio show for Off the Ball. How was that first step into... uh presenting your own show
1: Yeah it was really fun um, so Off the Ball had kind of like six hours of women's voices for Nulag Um, so me and Kira McGeehan got to host our own kind of segment of the show for an hour and it was really fun we got on really well and we got a lot of really good
0: feedback so Nerve-wracking as well
1: No not really nerve-wracking I think once you once you have some like a co-host like me and Kira, we hadn't we didn't really know each other that well before we did it but we just seemed to have such a good chemistry and things that I was good at she wasn't good at and things that I wasn't good at she was good at so we just kind of gelled really well together so I think the nerves were kind of gone just because we had each other.
0: So women in sport that's something you're obviously very passionate about.
1: I think young girls going through school like they don't know what sport they want to do or they don't enjoy sport because they think it's for boys or they don't like sweating or just it's not like a girly thing to do but uh I think being part of campaigns for women in sport kind of shows there's loads of different sports, something out there for everyone, and you just kind of have to keep trying. And like, that's the thing about swimming. Like, I spend my time in the pool, but like, I love to have different colour swimsuits and different colour hats and like just little things like that to show, like, yes, it's a sport, but you can still like have a little bit of fashion to it and stuff.
0: That whole body confidence, I feel like if there's one person who embraces it, it's you nowadays
1: <laughs> yeah um, I think I just spent so so long in my life being very insecure about my body and not being proud of it and being really ashamed and trying to hide it that uh, now that I'm out of that phase in my life I think it's important for me to just tell the story of how vulnerable I did feel and how like all the stuff that I did go through because everyone's exactly the same everyone feels like thinks those thoughts and goes through those things and, and to know that they're not alone is a really powerful thing
0: Exactly. And that leads us on to our first photos. So, Ellen, please describe your first photo for us. I
1: think I'd have it ready. Um, (laughs) So, my first photo is (laughs) from, I think, there's no date on it. So, judging by the size of me (laughs) and the look of the pool, I think it's around 2004. So, the National Aquatic Centre was opened in 2003. I'm just... A tiny little top. I'm like about nine years old and um, I'm in a pink swimsuit and I'm at a competition in the National Aquatic Centre. It's a really cute photo for me because. Like, I train in the National Aquatic Centre every day. 16 years on, I'm still there.
0: (laughs) 16 (laughs) Um, years on, you're you're an old veteran now.
1: Stop, I'm only 24. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's just a really mad photo to be like, thinking back then, did I know that the whole journey was ahead of me?
0: And that journey was to come, but getting into your swimming, how how were you growing up with confidence, your communication around people? Did the swimming help you? Bring, bring you out of your shell
1: Um. well I never really had any issues until I did become a teenager so I knew I was a little bit different um, I learned to swim with my brothers and my sister when I was like two and then like I did lessons and the funny thing is as soon as I was finished my lessons I was like delighted they were done I never wanted to get back in a pool again um, I was I was a water baby but I loved the sea and I just didn't like lessons or any of that and uh, I happened to be invited to a disability competition in Northern Ireland so I went to that and I actually lo- really loved racing, so that's how I got back into swimming. For me, it was just, I really enjoyed the control I had. I really enjoyed racing and competing and getting better. And um, But it was only when I kind of turned 11, 12, kind of that age that I noticed people staring at me and things like that. And it was re- only really in my sport that I felt safe. And when I was training and when I was competing, I didn't care that people were looking at me. Like people didn't notice my arm when I was training or competing. They kind of just noticed oh there's a swimmer in the water and I was just focused on what I was doing so much that it, it didn't bother me whereas when I was out in public that's kind of when I was trying to hide because I, I could hide whereas in the pool I couldn't.
0: And was it those teenage years you found hardest?
1: Yeah definitely and um, because everyone has different interests not everyone is a swimmer so I found it really really hard to communicate and relate to other people as it was um, and then like I went to an all girls skill and I think an all girls secondary skill is probably the worst <laughs> place in the world. <laughs> Not that the school itself was bad but it's just you're surrounded by young adolescent girls and there's always like that little bit of bitchiness to it. And But no one, I was never bullied. No one was ever mean to me about my arm but I just felt so insecure and so afraid of being rejected because I was different and I was afraid of being stared at and just kind of being known as the girl with one arm. That's what I didn't want Um, and I kind of built it up in my own head. I'd wear l- sleeves all the time. I'd have hoodies on in PE and I wouldn't even participate one hundred percent in PE because I didn't want to put my like put myself in that vulnerable position of perhaps someone would notice my sleeve was moving or that I was like wasn't able to catch a ball properly things like that.
0: So you're always second guessing as well. It's a lot of energy.
1: Yeah, a lot of doubting. A lot of energy was being put into kind of self sabotage. Um, and I think that's why I'm so open about talking about it now because people are still going through that and they just need to know that they're not alone.
0: No, exactly. And how did the the swimming help bring you out of that shell? It sounds like it was a bit of a safe haven, but ultimately you were just wearing a swimming cozy. Yeah. So uh, cozy. Cozy. What's <laughs> what's the right word to say for that? <laughs> A costume?
1: Uh, like, I don't know if it's an Irish thing, but Irish people call them togs. Togs. I, I call yeah. my swimming
0: trunks togs, but I, I didn't I know what the, the female equivalent it. of... Sorry, uh, your, your your togs then. Uh, well, now, obviously, there's, there's nowhere to, to hide when you wear your mm, togs. Yeah. How yeah. was that? Were you training with a group of p- people uh, who also had a disability?
1: No, I was in an able-bodied club, so I first joined Westwood in Clontarf and I swam there until I was about 14 and then I moved to Erlinga Swim Club. I was still the only disabled swimmer there and then I went to boarding school in England and it was kind of only when I went to boarding school, I went to school with Lauren Steadman who was in Strictly. She's also, she was a para swimmer and she is a para triathlete now um, and she has exactly the same arm as me and she was just so carefree about it. She didn't hide her arm at all and I I got really jealous and kind of like, I wish I could be that carefree and that confident. And I think seeing her and seeing how happy she was made me realise, like, I don't want to live like this. But it was kind of only when I left school. So I came back, I went to the institute. I still was hiding my arm. Um, but it was only when I started college that I was like, I want to be as happy and carefree as I am in the water, so when I started college, I just walked in and had my sleeves rolled up and didn't pretended like I didn't care, pretend that I didn't notice people looking at me. Um, and I did; it was killing me inside. But I quickly learned to realize that people would glance; they wouldn't stare that much. They glanced; they'd be curious, and the whole world didn't revolve around me and my arm. Like life went on; like it was just all in my head, basically.
0: I think that's one of the hardest things, especially for someone in sport, is. Always this constant focus on what other people think about you. Mm. And uh, I, I, for one, find that very hard as well to get over. But the you one just thing- keep
1: being afraid of letting people down. You do. And,
0: yeah. Yeah. For me, a lot of people have put a lot of time and energy into me. And I feel very, very lucky to have that. But, but in general, I always feel quite self-conscious. And one thing that's helped me get out of that is my sport. And uh, one thing that you, happened to you was you were thrust onto the, not just the national stage, but the international stage at such an early age, at the age of 13, going to the Beijing Paralympic Games.
1: Mm, yeah, that's the thing. Like when I came back from Beijing, like when I was in Beijing, it was just about being an athlete and... Um... Didn't My disability didn't really come into it and it was only when I came home and like my friends would be like, oh, our friend went to the Paralympics and obviously the Paralympics is for people with disabilities. I wouldn't want to talk about why I was there so I'd kind of like play it down or just like shrug it off and I wasn't really proud of being a swimmer or being a Paralympian and it was only after London 2012 that I kind of started to embrace it and the lead up to Rio as well, I really embraced it.
0: And embrace it, you did. And that leads me on to my first photo of you, (laughs) which is you stood on the podium at the Rio Paralympic Games with your medal in the air, your bronze medal. Mm. And you'd uh, had London Paralympic Games. And then those four years were obviously a very testing time for you, but your determination... Came through. You 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 gritted your teeth and you you got through and you made it onto a Paralympic podium. Can you tell me a bit about that journey, especially from those four years?
1: Yeah. So when I was in London, I didn't perform as I had hoped. Um, When I came back from Beijing, I found it really hard to motivate myself because I'd never been to a European Championships. I'd never been to a World Championships. My first major international was the Paralympic Games, and like you've been to the Olympics, like it's nothing like anything else. And when I came home from it, I found it really hard to motivate myself because i go like from being in the water cube in Beijing to a little shitty gala
0: <laughs>
1: in like <laughs> yeah. a trin- the Trinity yeah. pool with yeah, yeah, like yeah. other kids <laughs> and like being poisoned by chlorine levels and things like that. So, yeah, I did really, really struggle between 2008 and 2012. And then in 2012, I think the disappointment of knowing that I could be better really pushed me between 2012 and 2016. And when I started the 2016 cycle, psych- like the end of 2015 into 2016, I started off really, really well. And it was only in the lead up, like after Christmas time that I started to realise that, oh God, this is 2016. This is my third Paralympic Games. I haven't won a medal yet. If I don't win a medal, how can I kind of justify myself as an athlete? I was so good at putting myself down from my insecurity about my arm that when it came to... Like the choice between like believing in myself or putting myself down, it was a lot easier for me to put myself down. So I got such bad anxiety from like January into the lead up into Rio, and uh, like I just wasn't in a good place mentally at all. And I really struggled as well turning twenty one. I don't know why it was like uh, like people have their quarter life crisis or whatever. I had mine when I turned twenty one, <laughs> and it was a like I was a state. I didn't know what was going on. So when I was in Beijing or when I was in Rio, my first event was the two hundred medley. Which which was the event that I'd won a bronze medal in at World Championships the year previous. So everyone was expecting me at least to make the final, if not win a medal as well. And I went out too fast. Uh, I couldn't hold on. I didn't make the final. I wasn't even a reserve. And all I could feel was relief because I was just so happy that I didn't have to do that again. And I didn't have to be in that pressurized situation again. But obviously I was really, really disappointed not to have like performed and I knew my breaststroke was coming up so my breaststroke was my main event it was the event that I could potentially meddle in so I had to really just put it all behind me and focus on that the next step which was like two days later so for swimming you have your heats and your finals in the same day just the heats are in the morning and the finals in the evening so I kind of just told myself if I can get through the heat and do well in the heat, then I'll be okay for the final. So my heat, I won my heat. I was going second into the final. I knew that some of the other girls could swim faster, um, but I tried not to think about that. And then when I was in the final, it was just literally living in the moment. It was try not to get ahead of myself, try not to think of things that I can control and just control what I can. Um, and that's what I did in the race. And when I touched the wall and thought that I, I came third and that I'd won a medal, I was just so delighted. And, uh, and relief—that's what you feel. Yeah, it's no, not I, even. I agree. <laughs> it's yeah. not. It's mad. Like you see, you think like when someone wins an Olympic or a Paralympic medal, that they it is the happiest day of their life, and they feel such joy and pride. Oh, no, so nine thank God God that that's of over. Ten, <laughs> Nine times out of ten, they're just flooded <laughs> with relief <laughs> that it all paid off.
0: No, I know that feeling. <laughs> not the medal. Hopefully, one day that will come. But the, the relief to just be done. So that that mindset and mentality that you you had over the paralympic games in 2016 did you implement that when you returned back to Ireland as well?
1: Well, I knew that I like it was kind of just putting a plaster over a situation um, and I knew that I really had to figure out my mental health and look after my mental health. So I found a different psychologist that I wanted to work with. Um, the medical staff that were in Rio uh, were really, really supportive in terms of finding me someone that I could work with. So when I came home, it was just kind of finding someone, working with them. And I, I think that's important to know as well, that just because someone's a psychologist doesn't mean that they're the psychologist for you. They're like, people get on or don't get on and you have to find someone that suits you. And if they they don't suit you and you feel they don't, they're don't, they not helping you, it doesn't mean that they're bad at their job. It just means that you you don't have a relationship and it's not going to work.
0: No, it's very important that you have uh, a good group of people around you who you gel with, yeah, if anything. Yeah, it's the most important yeah. thing.
1: Yeah. um, So that was my main priority when I came back from Rio. And then, yeah, 2017, our world championships were in Mexico City. So we weren't going to go because it was at altitude. It was, I'm asthmatic. We knew that we kind of had like a year of just training. Um, So that's basically what 2017 was. And I think since 2016, I have really just been a little bit more mindful. Uh, I have a great yoga teacher named Julie and I see her every week. And she really helps kind of keep me grounded as well. My next photo that I'm going to talk about is basically a silly one. So a lot of people ask me all the time what happened to my arm and I was born like this. I don't really have a story. My parents actually weren't given a medical reason as to why it happened. So I like to kind of joke about it and make things up and tell funny stories. So my photo is of me and. Uh, with a fake shark and the shark is open and my arm is in it and I'm reacting.
0: <laughs> and this this photo as well will be online as well so everyone can see the the fake shark and your, your reaction. It's a great photo. It
1: is a great photo and I think it's just, it's just good because I think a lot of people, um, they're afraid of disabilities and they're afraid of offending people and they don't know how to interact and I think when you're someone who has a disability if you can make humour and take light in it Um, it makes not only makes other people more comfortable about it but it makes you more comfortable about it too and it's just you have an opportunity that other people don't have at making certain jokes so I take full advantage of those things (laughs) whenever someone asks me if I need a hand I give them the dirtiest look in the world and say obviously (laughs) <laughs> I did uh, on my Instagram story uh, today there's like uh, what is it called an emoji where it's like the hands are like coming up saying new post and underneath it I say hands <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I can't do that um,
0: <laughs> I liked your one with uh, the nails getting your nails done
1: yeah you just like so uh, I I'm very lucky that tropical popical look after me but usually when I go into uh, nail salons I do get it half price it's <laughs> just a little bit cheaper you know there's benefits and perks of being disabled.
0: And that came out really well in uh one of your TED talks that you did. Where one, just, just, my only, well, TED, talk only that TED talk. My only TED talk. where you break the ice so well. And yeah. uh it's something you've become accustomed to is that breaking the ice and doing it so eloquently as well. But <laughs> but like how did you develop that? You obviously in that photo, you're very conscious of kind of the jokes you can do. Yeah. Uh, but was that something that you uh, even from an earlier age than that. Yeah. Did you have brothers? Did you have sisters? How was that dynamic?
1: So I have two brothers and a sister. We never, my arm was never really brought up in conversation. I think the humour just comes from me being a little bit of a weirdo. Like I, it's not (laughs) just... No no comment. (laughs) It's not just the fact that I have one arm and I see the opportunity and taking advantage of the jokes that I can make with that. I think I just have always had a little bit more humour in me. Um, And I think it's been the thing that I like to make people laugh and I feel like people are more comfortable when they're happy and laugh. and for something that I used to be so ashamed of and wanted to hide my whole life to be the thing that makes people laugh I I really enjoy
0: So my photo is of you doing your TED Talk That one TED Talk That one TED Talk That one TED Talk which is fantastic and the picture is of you talking in front of a group of people and I've watched the TED talk and it's just after you take your jacket off Mm -hmm. on the TED talk Mm -hmm. so can you tell me a bit about that moment and how you came up with the script for that
1: yeah so 2017 was a quiet year in terms of swimming but it was really the year that kind of kicked off everything else so a lot of people have asked me how I'm a bronze medalist from world from the Paralympic Games in Rio but yeah I still managed to kind of uh, grow my profile over the last four years a lot more than other people who have who've had more success than me and I think it's because I've been so willing to tell my story and it really kicked off with the TED talk so I was approached to do it um, and I didn't I had never really done a talk before I didn't really know what I wanted to do about um, and they suggested just like I was thinking about disabilities in my arm and stuff and they are like, well, everyone has an insecurity about them. So maybe kind of targeted at insecurities and not just people with disabilities. And I was like, yeah, OK, so the script just one day I was in a coffee shop and I just started to write and it just all came out. Um, and there wasn't really much editing done to the script either. Um, but it was really important for me to to have an effect and a dramatic effect so the beginning of the TED Talk starts with me wearing a jacket and I'm like so what do you see when you look at me and like I I suggest things that they might notice and then I take my jacket off. And I was like, that's what I wanted you to notice. I never wanted you to notice my arm. And I think everyone kind of saw how easy it was for me to hide myself for all those years. And that's what my TED Talk is about. It's about the journey I went on from being really, really insecure and being ashamed and all the things that come with that. So even like I talk about my first boyfriend and how afraid I was, like we first started talking through text I'd never met him in person and he didn't know I hadn't told him that I had one arm and it was the story of having to tell him and the fear of rejection and the fact that he didn't care so that's kind of what my TED talk is about and how I managed to to kind of embrace it and enjoy it and now that's what I do and kind of encourage other people to face their insecurities and face their fears and since then I've kind of just had it's kind of had a tumbleweed effect Um, oh last year Allianz is one of my sponsors and they find they love my TED Talk so they decided that they're kind of going to make an ad about it as well so the ad last year was about a little girl who was uh, had her sleeves and like decided to take her sleeves off and then go out with her friends and the voiceover says at the end of the Allianz ad is if people are gonna stare, give them a reason to stare and I love that. So that's kind of like the whole thing that's happened since the TED talk.
0: Oh, that was fantastic. And one thing you talk about in your TED talk is you call it your lucky fin. <laughs> And how you have this life because of who you are.
1: Yeah. Well, that was more because of Finding Nemo. Like, Finding Nemo is the best movie ever for
0: me because it's, it's a bit good, of fish yeah. with a tiny fin. Like,
1: come on, I'm a swimmer with half an arm. And <laughs> like,
0: didn't you dress up once for a fancy dress party? Twice. Twice, twice. as Nemo. I wouldn't. painted Genius. myself orange.
1: <laughs> I have the outfit. It will probably come out again. Um, yeah. And it's a really good thing for me to be able to, like, when I go into schools. Kids aren't as um afraid as they are, like, the first time I kind of... I've noticed that kids are a lot more confident and a lot more open to differences. But when I first started going into schools, uh, they used to be, like, really afraid of me and my body. um, Because I was different. And I think the thing that kind of broke the ice and made them a little bit more comfortable would be me bringing up Nemo. And I'd be like, so... Anyone notice anything that me and Nemo have in common? And then they'd be like, he's a fish, he swims. And I'd be like, yeah, and what else? And they'd be like, he has a little fin. And I was like, yeah, and I have a little fin too. And like that's what Nemo calls it, his
0: lucky fin. No, I love it. And the one thing I got from that TED Talk, or uh, got plenty of things, but one thing that really stood out for me was just embrace who you are.
1: Mm, and the power of it as well. I think like, at my life is completely different since I started to embrace it and I said that the day that I rolled up my sleeves was the day that my life really began and I still believe that because I definitely was living half a life when I was trying to hide my arm and hide who I was. So my final photo today is a photo that I found very important to share on my own Instagram. Like a lot of people would know about the success that I've had or the medals that I've won and I would be known to be quite a happy person quite a smiley person but at World Championships uh, last year I was really disappointed with how I swam and it was captured really well in a photo Um, so that's the photo that I'm currently looking at and is on my Instagram and it's important like it's actually the background of my phone as well because I was so heartbroken and so disappointed with how I swam that I never want to forget that feeling and I think a lot of people forget that sports people are still humans, and when they fail, like even our rugby team, they wanted to w- win the World Cup. Everyone was disappointed that they didn't, where everyone had their opinions on how shit they were, or whatever. But they're still human, and they're heartbroken, and they feel things, and that's literally what my photo is about. Like it's about the heartbreak of sport, and when you like, like I felt like I let myself down. Not even. Other people. It was more. I knew that I was better than that, and I just didn't perform.
0: Yeah. And what are you looking at in that photo? As well, are at <laughs> my time. Yeah. you looking at the time. And, and do you have the placing next to that time, or was it just the time?
1: Oh, I came through. I won a medal. Yeah.
0: So you, you, <laughs> but, I know you did really, really well in that. And as in, from a medal perspective, yeah. you got your bronze. I still
1: made the podium, and I should have been happy with that. But. I knew I could have done better. And, like, medals are great and all, but when you spend your year, like, when you spend four years of your life or five years, six years, like, and not seeing progress in time, then you're like, what? Why can't I go any faster? And I think medals are great and I love being able to share my medals and my experiences with kids and that's what the medals are great for is for people to see, but for my own kind of satisfaction, I just want to swim really fast.
0: (laughs) And you want to strive to be the best you can be.
1: Yeah, and the fact that I know I'm better than that and like external pressures can play on your mind and can result in you not having...
0: The optimum race that you want. So there's that photo where yeah, like, I mean, I'm even getting emotional about yeah, it now. <laughs> no, it's that photo. It. It's it's an emotional topic it's something you 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 throw everything into, and it's not just you. This is a, a family effort. It's like mm. a, a team effort of your coach Dave Malone and the people who you have around you. Mm. And there's only one person who's lucky enough to be in the pool at that time. Or, it's, or it's unlucky you. enough. Well, yeah, very true. But there's only You're one like, person. Like I would really like to be on <laughs> yeah, site. Yeah. No, so, sometimes it. I can relate to that. But but at the end of the day, you're very lucky that you get to swim for a living. And uh, it's something you've worked very, very hard to get to. And you only naturally want to strive to be the best you can, if Mm. not for yourself, for those around you.
1: Yeah. And I think like it will come I do believe it will come and I do believe that in hindsight maybe not performing as I wanted to at Worlds is what I needed to push me into 2012 and to push me for Tokyo um, I think but everyone is always looking for that perfect performance and perfection doesn't exist like I know that because that's what I was trying to strive for when I was a teenager and I hid my body because I was, perfection didn't exist I have to I've had to try and change my whole mindset to aim for excellence not
0: perfection It's fantastic to because you certainly embrace who you are <laughs> and everything you're about, and going ahead into 2020 mm. the Tokyo Paralympic Games yeah how are you feeling
1: I'm excited it's my fourth games I
0: think you're especially... definitely an old person if it's your fourth games
1: <laughs> no I'm not I'm 24 when I was in Rio as well they used to call me a veteran and I was like I'm no you 21. you're definitely, <laughs> definitely a
0: veteran there okay. now, like, you did go when you were 13 which yeah. in its own right is such an achievement <laughs> I'm trying to think when I was 13 years old uh, I don't think my mum and dad even trusted me to, to sort out my own bed. Whereas <laughs> you're there in Beijing competing but representing I think Ireland.
1: when you're a kid and you're competing, you don't have any cares. You don't know any different. You just get in, get the job done. Whereas like, so Nicole Turner, is. Uh, she's going to be 18 in Beijing or in Tokyo. But in Rio, she was 14 and she was just so carefree and I was so jealous of her. I was like, why can't I just be like you? But yeah, no, I've actually since World Championships, I've kind of slowed down a little bit. And terms of when you're an athlete you're always thinking ahead you're always thinking of the next competition the next goal the next aim Um, and it's important just to live day by day and enjoy every day that you have and who knows what's going to happen after Tokyo like in Rio the whole the whole sport had progressed so much and people were swimming so fast that I can only imagine what Tokyo is going to be like and I just want to be up there with everyone else.
0: Well it's important to know that you will be up there.
1: I will yeah I, I don't have a doubt in my mind.
0: No definitely not so my final photo, <laughs> we spoke about being carefree yeah. earlier on. And this is you wearing a certain dress at the most recent <laughs> RT Awards. Yeah, And we're going to have all these photos and we'll put all the links online to the TED Talk and to everything else. But can you describe this photo and why this photo is significant to you?
1: So this photo is me in a sequence, a turquoise sequence dress, but it's actually my 18th birthday dress. And when I bought... The dress, uh, it had two sleeves, and I purposely bought it because it had two sleeves, and I was trying to hide my arm. And with the whole sustainability movement and stuff, I I found I never threw it out. It's a beautiful dress, and I found it, and I thought I'd love to wear this again, but I could do something different to it. So I decided to cut off the left sleeve because I'm not that person anymore, and I'm proud of my arm. And I got a really good job done to it, and uh, I wore it to the Sports Awards, and I was just, it was just such a a lovely thing for me to be able to do and to be able to feel and I'm really glad that I was able to do it. And just the, the the journey that I've been on to be able to be the person I am now from when I was 18 as well.
0: I think that's the most fantastic part about listening to, to this and just hearing that journey of you as a, a girl, a carefree girl and then going through the stages of into teenage years where you have that anxiety. Yeah. So then having to get over that anxiety, being thrust onto the international stage to then... Go back into real life, which is totally different to what the Paralympics is. Mm, you kind of, yeah. you have this momentous moment, and then you go back into essentially just what's your normal life.
1: Yeah, and this is a Hence very. Hence the
0: name of your podcast. It is well, life in a bubble. Life in a bubble. Life in a bubble. That's, a bubble. that's it,
1: exactly what the village is like. In it it, it, it
0: so. is. It is, and you're in this place where, uh, f- for me, the the village was the most amazing place I've ever been. Just going around seeing people dangerous, with, oh, dangerous <laughs> as well. Yeah, there was a free McDonald's in there, and, and you know what? I was tempted there was a lot to. Of free there. there was a lot of free things in there. And uh, I think I must have been the only athlete who didn't go to McDonald's. Really? The, yeah, yeah. I didn't do it for the whole time. Although I, I had a good time uh, celebrating once I had finished. I was I was fairly relieved, like you like you mentioned Did earlier. Did
1: you you went to McDonald's after you finished. No, competing. no,
0: no. I was actually, I actually went home. Uh, I had one day, and so I wanted to see a bit of a city, and then I flew back Jesus. to Ireland. Yeah, yeah. yeah So That's it was, a that uh, sad? Yeah. Well, uh, hopefully in two thousand and twenty this year. It's already this year. No. The, the scary part, but hopefully I'll get to, to spend a bit extra time. I have got to qualify first but now that's all part of the fun and I and I hope I will be there but it's been fantastic to hear your story of the, the anxiety and how you're embrace certain things and then starting college and pulling up your sleeves and uh, just embracing who you are and then taking that to the next level and not just your your life as a student but then which you do culinary, culinary entrepreneurialship. I got I said that right didn't entrepreneurship. Like, entrepreneurship. <laughs>
1: entrepreneurship. in entrepreneurship
0: ah, nearly there I was so <laughs> close and yeah. uh, and then taking that on to another place where you excel, which I think we can safely say is your bubble, swimming that you... Yeah, uh,
1: so like uh, for me, swimming and my sport is kind of a, a selfish thing that I do. Like it's, I don't actually talk that much about my sport because I feel quite private about it. Whereas like my arm and the journey that I've been on, I think it's, it's a responsibility that I have that I have to tell that story because there's people out there who are struggling that kind of need to hear that
0: well you you mentioned earlier about when you you started swimming you were just you in the pool Mm -hmm. and uh, that's who you are we can only wish you the very best for the future and thank you thank you thank you you very much (laughs) and thank you for coming on the podcast today
1: no problem thank you for having me thank
0: you it's been an absolute pleasure having you on thanks to ellen and a big thank you to all you listeners out there for tuning in if you've enjoyed today's episode we would love it if you could share it on we're on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, everything, you name it. All of today's photos are on our social media channels Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat. Just type in Life in a Bubble podcast and they'll be there. So, next episode, we have the hugely talented Anna Gary on the pod. Anna is a TV and radio personality. She hosts Pumped Up Kicks on Today FM. You can catch her on Island's Fittest Family. And she also danced her way to the final of Dancing with the Stars. Not only that, she's also a Cork legend from her camogie playing days as she captained Cork to an All-Island Final in 2014. So I think we're going to have some fantastic insights and a fair few good stories on the next episode. Until then, contact us on our social media channels. We would love to hear from you. We also have an email address, which is lifeinthebubbledublin at gmail.com. That's lifeinthebubbledublin at gmail.com. To so see you on the 3rd of April for another episode of Life in a Bubble. Until then, take care and we will see you in two weeks time.